Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, October 19th, 2007. This week, episode 55 comes to you from Studio B in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is the cyber jockey, Zach Slotnick. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Easy now, Zach. We're not going to give you that. How you doing today, it's, CJ? It's good to be here, Joe. Good. It's good to be here. We also have our co-host calling in remotely from Vancouver, the Z-Man, Z- Cliff Zlotnick. Do hey, we- Zach. Uh, uh, first of all, happy birthday. It's Zach's birthday Thank today. you very much. Yeah. And, uh, Thank you very much. Nice to see from Washington. Great. I didn't realize that. Happy birthday to the Zima or to, you, to the cyber jockey, huh? That's right. right. I'm getting old. Ripe old age at 24. <laughs> <laughs> We're also waiting and hoping that uh, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, will be checking in. Hopefully, we'll hear from him very shortly. And we've got uh, a great show today. I'm kind of jazzed up. Just got back from the IAQA convention. We've got uh, Mr. Craig Whitaker from EGS Consulting. Of course, we'll have our microband trivia quiz. We've got Glenn Fellman with the IE Connections What's News, and then we'll finish her up with the roundup. I'm uh, really excited about our lineup today, excited about the show. But before we go there, let's move it over and uh, first thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. On the web at johndon.com. All right. Now, to join the show, of course, you just go to TalkShoe, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E.com, get your PIN number. They've made things easier, but uh, CJ, maybe you can explain yeah, a little absolutely. bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to join the show now, all you have to do is pick up the phone, dial 1-724-444-7444, and puncture our show ID, which is 1547, and then it will prompt you to uh, press 1 to join the show, push that, and uh, you're in. Excellent. Thank you, CJ. TalkShoe's doing a great job of trying to make this a little more user-friendly. We've also got uh, 
information that you can trust at the uh, iaqtraining.com website. So if you get a chance, join that. And, of course, don't forget about our new www.iaqradio.com site. All right. You can also get those IAQ console credits if you need them by emailing me for a show quiz at joe.hughes, at iaqtraining.com. We'll get that. These are, actually, those are going along pretty well now. All right, let's move it over to our fill-in for today. Are you going to do the yes. uh, okay, microband trivia quiz time? The microband trivia question for Friday, October 19th, 2007, of course, comes from the science field, science and technology. Joe, the envelope, please. This device works by detecting the ionization produced by a radioactive particle. What we are looking for, the name of this device. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, CJ. Let me give a little background on our first guest here. Uh, Craig Whitaker is a CIE but uh, he's with EGS Consulting, and he is the owner. He's joining us from Greensboro, North Carolina. He's the owner of Environmental Solutions Group. Don't want the acronym police to get me here. ESG was founded by Craig in 2000 to provide environmental assessment and consulting services to residential and commercial customers throughout the Carolinas. To date, they've evaluated nearly 1,500 properties and have prepared remedial protocols and project management for several hundred clients. Craig has an undergraduate science degree and a master's and doctoral degree in education from Northern Illinois University and the University of Arizona. He taught at the university level for 15 years before attending law school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where he focused on environmental law. Upon finding out he had cancer in 1999, Craig began studying indoor air quality to help himself and found that he could help others by listening to their concerns as well. Craig is a certified indoor environmentalist, the father of two grown children, and a huge fan of IAQ Radio, which is one of the reasons we brought him on. The other is that he did a tremendous presentation on the applications of the laser particle counter in IAQ assessments at the recent IAQA conference. So we're going to talk a little bit about the conference a little bit about his paper and his information on particle counting, and we're going to have the IE Connections uh, segment, so we're going to tie it all together. But before we do, I think we've got an intro for Craig here. Particle man, particle man, doing the things a particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle man, is he a dot or is he a speck? When he's underwater, does he get wet? Or does the water get him instead? Nobody knows. Particle Man. All right. Craig, are you with us? I certainly am. All right. Welcome to IAQ Radio, and thank you so much for joining us, Craig. We understand you've been a, a longtime listener, and uh, I was really pleased to meet you at the conference. I'm just curious, what were your uh, impressions of the IAQA conference? What can you fill our listeners in with respect to how things went? I thought it was a, a, a great conference, lots of wonderful presentations, uh, a wonderful opportunity to meet uh, and greet people in the industry, and attendance was phenomenal. 
Um, and I enjoyed every presentation I went to, uh, a wide variety of presentations. I mean, I could just go on and on. It was just a, a blast. Uh, Vegas was a great setting for that, I thought. Um, uh, just was a, a real, real productive uh, four days. If there were maybe one or two short, you know, good nuggets of information that you felt like you gained at the conference. Can you run a couple things by us? Sure, by all means. Uh, I think that, um, uh, you know, short nugget, Bill Nye starting things off on Sunday with, uh, you know, we all breathe the same air. Um, and what happens in, in my town affects the, the next town over and the next state over and the next country over and so forth, and that we all need to be looking at ways to improve our air quality, which is, very, very important on a global scale. And on a more kind of just local scale, uh, you know, that uh, as, as indoor environmentalists, we need to be inquisitive and pushing for better uh, means to evaluate, uh, you know, what we do, right, from, from, the, uh, from the lab results that we get to how we attain those lab, you know, the samples to, uh, you know, uh, right down to, you know, exactly what we're looking for when we're in a Yeah, I thought he did a great job. Um, I I pulled a couple quick tidbits, like the fact that he feels you know we've got to do more with less. Um, that's obvious, but he he presented it in a way that was just fascinating. He also obviously has what he calls the joy of discovery, and um, that was great. And he also was very pragmatic in saying that look, we've got to. You know, we've got to get the low-hanging fruit, and there's a bunch of low-hanging fruit out there. Just changing to more, uh, you know, energy-efficient light bulbs and things of that nature. I, th I thought he did a great job on that, and he kept ending everything with "We can change the world." And I thought that was a, a really interesting part of his presentation as well. Anything else you'd like to comment on the uh, from the conference, Craig? Uh, I, I think that um, I, I definitely got a sense that green building and, and looking at how uh, indoor air quality is going to fit into this, this new phenomenon, if you will, of, of looking at green building science and, uh, you know, how we're going to, like, like Bill Nye said, you know, pick the low-hanging fruits and things that we can do just in building our buildings to make, uh, make them safer and better and use less energy. Um, and how IEQ plays into that is going to be something that we're going to be looking at very strongly here in the next few years. I'm glad you picked up on that. That was an excellent point. And I would like to quickly, for those of you that weren't there, mention one of the sessions that I thought was just really well done. Uh, Carl Grimes, who's been a guest on our show a few times, put together a medical panel. One of the... Uh, well, there were four speakers, Dr. Nicholas Nonis, who's a, an MD and allergist, Harriet Amon, who's a PhD and uh, widely known in the IAQ world, and uh, her work on the bioaerosols committee and other committees has you know, been widely reported. Dr. Claudia Miller, who's a, an MD and also uh, one of the leading authorities on what she calls toxicant-induced loss of tolerance or TILT. Uh, Dr. Richie Shoemaker was there. He was an M he's an MD that has some very interesting thoughts, and he's the medical director for the Center for Research on Biotoxin and Associated Illness. And I think the thing that I pulled out of this, and I'm not a you know I don't claim to be a doctor. Or I'm certainly not a doctor. I'm not a health expert, but I, 
the thing that kind of struck me was that all of those people were focusing on things other than mycotoxins, actually. They were talking more about the other byproducts or the other uh, things that fall around the damp environment and fungal uh, ecology, which are like the beta-glucans and the proteins and some of the mycelial fragments and dust. In fact, um, Harriet Amon made a, a statement that about 30% uh, when we're, with respect to fungi, about 30% of the dust is mold spores, about 30% was hyphal and spore fragments, and another 40% was something else. So maybe we're not seeing the whole picture when we focus so much on just the spores. I think that was also something that uh, Dr. Shoemaker pointed out, that, you know, we've got these, again, these beta-glucans, these proteins, VOCs, etc., and they may all have some kind of effect. I'm not going to try and, you know, outguess the experts, but my opinion was that there's going to be a lot of new information coming out. There's a lot of good research going on, and when we bring Glenn Fellman in here, I'm going to asking, uh, I don't know if it'll put them on the spot or not, but I, I understand members will possibly have access to the uh, presentations that were given uh, during that session. I also uh, wanted to comment that IESO, apparently, the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, had a really productive meeting. Um, Tom Yacobellis was elected president. He'll be in there for a short period of time, and Glenn can talk a little bit more about the reasons for that. I won't steal his thunder on that announcement. And I thought there were a lot more professionals in the audience that were PhDs, CIHs, PEs, you know, along with our typical crowd of the excellent remediators and indoor environmental quality professionals that we see. And I was lastly really surprised. I thought we were going to have a... Um, somewhat negative reaction from the membership because of some of the complications that have come up over the last few years with the unification and so on and so forth. But I, I found that the membership was really upbeat and positive about both the association and even more surprising to me, they were pretty upbeat and positive about the fact that their businesses were doing pretty well and they were pretty busy. So I uh, just wanted to run those thoughts by the listeners and Hopefully we'll get some comments from Glenn when we bring him in for the uh, What's News segment. Craig, any comments on that? No, I think you covered things very well, Joe. All right. Well, thank you, Craig. Well, one of the reasons we brought you on is that, you know, you've been a long-time listener, and uh, maybe we'll take it over to Cliff for a moment. Cliff, are you still with us? Yeah, I am. How I about am. a – do you have a question? I know you had a couple questions you wanted to ask Craig about the fact that he's a listener. Yeah, I, I do, actually. Uh, first of all, uh, I'd like to know how you feel that contractors would benefit from listening to IAQ Radio. Certainly. Um, you know, one of the things that I thought about with that, uh, Cliff, is that personally I don't have time to go to all the conferences that I'd like to go to. I'd love to go to the HVAC conferences, the AIHA stuff, the the Duck Cleaners Conference, the Hygienist Conference, Safety People. You know, there's just not time to do all these things. Um, one of the ways that I get good ideas from people outside of my own area of expertise is by listening to the show. And I get to hear a wide cross-section on a weekly basis. keeps me thinking, keeps me um, uh, active in terms of looking outside of my own box to come up with ideas about what I do in my business. And uh, I 
you know, I think that's one of the best things about IAQ Radio is just we get a, a weekly fix, if you will, of, of uh, ideas and commentary about what's going on in our industry. You know, I, we have this ulterior motive. You know, we recently, how I heard about you is we had a contractor client of yours in a mold remediation course, and this guy was just going on about you and going on about you, and Dr. Craig did this, and he does that, and so on and so forth. So that got me fired up, and then he also told me that, uh, that you were a big fan of the radio show, and you know, I just figured we wanted to you know, bring you on to talk about that. Have you ever heard anything on the show that you didn't agree with, you know, that really aggravated you? Well, you know, aggravated probably is a bit strong, but, um, yeah, there certainly are things that I, I have to question. Um, you know, I, I tend to, to listen to everything with an open ear and say, you know, well, how, can I prove that wrong in my own way? Um, you know, uh, I think probably the one thing that, that has bugged me the most, especially since, uh, we happened to find this uh, this rare type of mold in a crawl space in a couple crawl spaces in North Carolina early this year, is that you know it's not necessary to sample mold. If you see mold growing on a surface, you, you've got mold. There's no, it's not necessary to to find out exactly what you're dealing with there. And uh, you know, I, I I probably agreed with that much of the time. Um, However, uh, you know, when we found what we found in a couple crawl spaces, I was really glad that we had a sample and we knew what we were dealing with for the protection of everybody involved. Well, the fact that you brought it up, let's, let's deal with it. Tell us what you found. Tell us where you found it and what was unusual about it. Sure. This was um, uh, one of my investigators went into a crawl space, just a kind of a normal assessment, where the homeowner had said that they had some health issues in the house and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And he found a, a very thick, brown, fuzzy growth over uh, in one specific area near the air handler. And it was what was unusual about it was that it was very thick and fuzzy, first of all, and it was, it was growing on everything. Typically, we'll find uh, a fungus growing on the timbers in you know, the floor structure or it'll be on the HVAC air handler uh, unit itself. This was on the air handler. It was on the ductwork. It was on the, the, the soil. It was on the wiring. It was on... The floor system, it basically just covered, looked like somebody had gone in there and, and, and blown dust bombs, you know, dirt bombs with, a, with some kind of gun or something and just blasted this area of the crawl space with, with, this, with this stuff. And, and in fact, uh, my guy Steve, he called me from the site and said, you know, this, I've never seen this before. You know, what do you think I ought to do? And, and I said, definitely grab a sample of it. Let's see what we've got there. He wasn't even sure it was fungal. And uh, it came back to be a very rare type of fungus called Ramachloridium that, that is a rock-growing fungus from the Turkey, Afghanistan, um, Iran, Iraq kind of area of the world. And uh, I guess maybe there are terrorists living in the house. Huh? Yeah, well, that's <laughs> 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 that, that's come to mind. Um, you know, we thought this kind of an unusual circumstance. Um, maybe there was even a, a lab error. The, the lab actually sent it uh, to uh, another. Uh, branch of their, their you know, that did the testing and they sent it to another microbiologist to look at it, he came up with the same conclusion. And the homeowner kind of freaked. We 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 panicked a little bit because Steve said, you know, I it was a hot day and I wasn't wearing my mask and I should have been wearing my mask and uh, you know, this this stuff if you breathe it in, it can cause a nasal infection very quickly and, and attack the brain and it's a very, very serious uh, issue there. So um, what ended up becoming uh, you know, making it even worse was that probably about six weeks later, Steve goes into another crawl space and sees the same thing in another house. Hmm. Uh, 
What was and, the name? Uh, what was the name of the fungus again? It's the Ramacloridium. I'm sorry, you broke up. And, yeah, it's Ramacloridium. Ramacloridium. R-A-M-I-C. Okay. So, in any case, this time uh, Steve was masked up and, and, and got another sample of that in, in another crawl space that was probably about 20 miles away from the first house. And, uh, you know, we, we started thinking, you know, the sort of relationship here. How did this how did this mold get in both these crawl spaces? Why haven't we seen it before? How did it get to the United States? You know, here's a mold that's a rock-growing species from the Middle East. How did it get planted in North Carolina? Um, started raising a lot of questions. And uh, we ended up finding out that uh, doing some research that both houses were, were completed at the same time uh, about seven years ago. Um, both were uh, developed by the same builder, and uh, the chances are very high that the, the lumber had come from the same lumber yard uh, for both those houses. Hmm. And so our hypothesis is that the, the lumber was contaminated by this type of mold that could have come from, you know, North Carolina is a, a heavy military state. We've got several bases right. here, and we're thinking that it may have come from a soldier's boot and that soldier came back from, you know, uh, finished his service in the Middle East, came back and maybe used his military boots to, uh, uh, you know, work in the lumber yard or what have you, maybe walked on some uh, pieces of wood and released some, you know. We can't prove any of that, but that, that's the only connection that we can find between those two properties. Well, I would encourage any other listeners out there, and we'll certainly be checking around if anybody else has run into this same type of situation. We'd sure like to hear about it. So let's uh, move a little bit away from uh, you. You mentioned, and I'm glad you brought up the fact that, you know, there are people that uh, frequently express the viewpoint that when, when we see mold, we don't need to sample it. And I, I tend to, uh, I understand their point, but you bring up a really good point as well. And that's the problem with this industry. We've got, you know, we've all got good points and uh, there's, there's two sides to each story. Now you're doing a lot of work with these, Laser particle counters, and uh, I wish. Well, I guess first, what you, maybe if you wouldn't just explain a little bit about how a laser particle counter works. Sure, I'd be glad to, Joe. Um, it, it pulls in a small amount of air um, that is normalized in the sense that the pump um, pulls the air in at the same speed that it's moving in the room, and uh, pulls that in, and a, and a laser light shines across the airflow that's coming in through, this, through a probe that, that's mounted on top of the unit. And this little chimney or probe pulls the air in, laser light shines across, and, it, and the diffracted light or the reflection of the particle is, is reflected onto a screen by this laser light. So basically it works kind of like a movie projector where you think about, you've all been in the movies, you've seen you know, the, the, the light shining from the, from the projector up and above your head, and, and when it first comes on, or if you look at it just right, you can see a little you can see little dust particles floating around in the light. Well, this works very much the same way. And, and the screen where the, where the light is refracted by the particles is counting up the number of reflections that it picks up on the screen. And it's, it's counting up the number of reflections, and it's also counting up the size of those reflections. And then it categorizes that using a computer on board the, uh, the particle counter, categorizes all that into sizes, and counts them up, and it'll it'll actually give you a, a readout. You know, you had 1,200 particle sizes 
uh, in this zone, in, in this size, and 700 in this size, and et cetera. So you're getting some, some pretty reliable data. It's not perfect, mind you, because different particles refract light in a different way. So sometimes you end up with a particle that's not perfectly round, reflect, refracting light, a bigger image of light, and that's measured by the particle counter as a, as a slightly larger particle. Um, I, I hope I don't want to get too technical on the show, but you know uh, that, that's basically how it works. Okay, right, let me check something real quick. Oh, and uh, get the machine that goes. Bing! <laughs> CJ loves those little clips, and I think they add to the show. Hopefully, you think they add to the show, Craig. I don't know. What's your thought on that? I get a kick out of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great, great. Hear. I get a kick out of another guy here, and I think he might be on the line. Let me, let me check with IAQ guest number three here. Uh, can you unmute guest three? Hello, is that you, Dieter? Yes, I'm here. Good day, Dieter. Just a minute. Let's introduce our technical director, Dr. Dietrich. Wow, I think we've got a little music for him as well. Is that Beethoven? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay, I go, I go, I go for the Fifth Symphony. It's another minor tune. <laughs> All right, just a little, little something from the past, a little minor tune from the past, mm -hmm. huh, Dieter? Well, welcome. That's to, right. Welcome to the show, Dieter. I know that particle counters have always been something that uh, you are very interested in, and, and I was reading Craig's paper, and it sort of, you know, it made me think of you when I started reading about the history of these particle counters. I wonder if you had yeah. anything you'd like to add. Well, we bought a particle counter many, many years ago at the University of Pittsburgh. I think the damn thing was at the time $375,000. And the the major expense was what? Probably Anybody the, guess? The computer, I would guess. The laser. Nope. The laser. The laser. The laser. Okay. The laser that you can buy today for two dollars and ninety nine cents. Okay. Was at the time a hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something like that. And indeed, just as we heard before, uh, the particles when they hit, uh, first of all, you have monochromatic uh, light that uh, solves a lot of problems with light scattering, and the particles are counted due to their light-scattering ability. And that has something to do, as we heard before, very correctly, uh, has something to do with size and shape and refractive index. Well, very good. So when, when, whenever you get a count of crud in the air, I mean, it is, uh, it's, it's not perfect. You know, uh, 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 some particles are counted differently from others even though they have may have a different size and what were you using this particle counter for Dieter um, well we <laughs> we generated we had to generate 0.3 micron particles <laughs> DOP dioctophthalate particles uh, with a DOP generator which was the biggest pain in the neck I've ever done in my life to stabilize that thing took sometimes days so we use that in combination with particle counters to test what? HEPA filters. Got it. Got Nobody it. could do it at the time. And Craig mentions in his paper that the first particle counting machines were developed back in the 50s, actually, to monitor dust and other particle contamination in the manufacturing process. Craig, did you want to comment uh, on that? Or Dieter? 
Yeah, very well. I'm very well aware of that. I had friends, former students and colleagues, peers who worked for a little outfit called uh, IBM. And uh, when they started making the microcircuits, you know, if one speck of dirt gets on a microcircuit, you, you have to throw it away. So I remember, I remember times when their yield was something like 10%. They had to throw away 90% of the microcircuits they were making. Wow. Because of, quote, dirt crud in the air. So they were very much interested in having the cleanest environment uh, possible. And Craig, you do that type of work to this day, don't you? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Dieter. We will uh, bring you back in from time to time and always appreciate your comments, and thanks for joining us again. It's always great. Sorry about that. We we got Dieter got cut off, but he'll be right back. And uh, before we do, Craig, before I get into too much more, I know Cliff had one other question about the show that he wanted to ask you, and then I think we should break for the IE Connection segment. Cliff, are you still with us? Yeah, I am, Joe. And, uh, you know, Craig, from time to time as a listener, you hear Joe and I spout off standing on our soapbox about industry issues. And I'm just wondering, you know, what is your opinion uh, to that? I mean, you think we should continue to do it? You think we shouldn't do it? You know? Well, yeah. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, the, the show is, is a spirited um, conversation between the two of you and your guests. And, and, and I like the fact I, I look at you guys kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like good cop, bad cop sometimes. Um, and, and, and I always one of the things I look forward to the show is seeing how the two of you are going to react to the guests and, and the ideas that are that are thrown out at, uh, at the show. And, and, you know, you have to split second to come up with uh, some good conversation about that. And uh, I enjoy it. I, I think that you guys do a great job. And um, uh, I, I always get a kick out of the show and I always come away with, with something new that I've learned. Now, how do you Thanks, listen? Man, I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, we really do appreciate it. Uh, how, how do you listen? I, you know, yeah, I, I like to uh, download the show, um, mainly because Fridays are, are typically busy for us, so I don't get to tune in all that much. So what I do is on Saturday, after it's been uploaded, uh, I download the MP3 file, and I have an MP3 player, I, 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 and I can bring it in the car with me, and uh, when I'm traveling, I can listen to it. But one of the advantages... That, that about downloading the show that I mentioned to listeners is that you can go back and listen to something again and again. And personally, I, with repeated listenings, I, I always pick up something new. And, uh, and I even, uh, in the early days, the first three, four months or so, I was even taking the shows and categorizing them in a folder on my computer based on what was talked about on the show. And, uh, and I'd go back, you know, let's say I had a question about a certain thing, I could go back and listen to that show and pick up the segment of that show that where that that topic was talked about and uh, you know that was very helpful to me. And you know it's it's funny you bring that up because I was at the conference and and someone suggested and I think it's a great suggestion that we have on our website some kind of index that indicates what was discussed on each show so that people can go to that show when they have a question on a particular subject. All right, coming soon. A great idea. I'm sorry, I you cut out there, Craig. No, I said that's a great idea, and uh, and the sooner the better because 
you know, you're going to find, I think, 10 years from now, it's going to be a lot harder to categorize all your shows. In <laughs> it's getting <laughs> tough now. Uh, <laughs> this number You'll 50. You'll still be doing this in 10 years. Number 55 here. And, um, and I totally agree with your re-listening and learning something new. I mean, you know, when we're doing the show, we're kind of busy with this, that, and the other thing. And when I listen the next day, sometimes I go, wow, I don't remember that. That was really good. So <laughs> let's get to somebody else really good here. I think we've got a, a little, a new clip for the IE Connections What's News with Mr. Glenn Fellman. news is so factually boring. I get assignments that any could do. I am the scapegoat for all of the group. I'm mostly a figure they laugh at, but then I'll be a leader of men. Okay, Glenn, we've got, we find that one just for you. How are you today? I love it. I love it. Thanks a lot. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. The Lou Grant. I for anything better. All right. We, we, we found our song now. So what's news, Mr. Fellman? Well, uh, you guys have already hit on a lot of the, the news I'm going to share, at least the source of it, which was last, excuse me, this week's Indoor Air Quality Association 10th Annual Meeting and Exposition. We had almost 1,100 people at the Rio All Suite Hotel in Vegas. Um, from my perspective, I think it was one of the best annual meetings I've ever attended, not only for IAQA, but, but for any association. Uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, rocked. The, the, the sessions were solid. The exhibit hall was packed, and the food was excellent. So, so what, And I came home with more money than I left. So, I mean, all in all, you can't, you can't beat that. That's <laughs> I wish I stuff. could say the same. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't too bad. Well, it didn't happen. Out of, out of about 19 trips to Las Vegas in my lifetime, that's the first. But anyway, uh, um, we got some big news coming off this conference, Joe. We've got some really big news. I'm going to start off with just telling you a little bit about what happened within IAQA and uh, and their board of directors. They welcomed uh, uh, two new members to their board, and these guys are heavy hitters in the industry. The first is Dr. Wei Tang from QLab. Uh, for those of you who know him, he is just a phenomenal expert uh, on laboratory issues. He owns a laboratory. And the second fellow is a, a fellow who I believe may have been a guest on your show in the past, and that is Wayne Baker, who is both a PE and a CIH. Uh, we haven't so talked about adding. We haven't had, we haven't Wayne, had yet. Wayne on the no, show. No, but we're, we're trying. Uh, we'll, but, we'll, we'll get him. You got well. You know he he isn't very opinionated, so that might be a problem for you. <laughs> That's a for those of you yes. that don't know or haven't participated in one of the chat rooms. Wayne has some pretty strong opinions from time to time. <laughs> Go ahead, Glenn. I'm sorry. Yeah, other, that's right. And the other fellow who uh, who was who was actually reelected to our board for for another term is uh, Mr. Mark Delisle, which we're glad to have back. And he, in fact, is now our first vice president. And the vice president, excuse me, and the president of IAQA. Uh, is none other than uh, Tom Yacobellis, who I am now referring to as the Grover Cleveland of the Indoor Air Quality Association. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know your presidential history, Grover Cleveland is the only man who was elected to be the president of the United States, then uh, was not the president for a while, and then ran for office again and was reelected. Tom was our president for three years, uh, did a phenomenal job, uh, such a good job, in fact, that they brought him back. So uh, that's some good news. The, the the really exciting one, Joe, the the one that uh, and, and Cliff and, and guys, the one that that has me just so jazzed up 
is something that's going to happen in 18 months. Drum roll, please. Wait, wait, wait. The indoor quality. CJ, you got it. No, go ahead. That's all right. But the Indoor Quality Association and the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, ACCA, for the first time ever, are going to co-locate their annual meetings in 2009. This is going to be an event that is going to blow people's minds. We're talking 350 booths, at least 3,000 attendees. Uh, Craig, when he was, when he was speaking earlier uh, on the show, he was mentioning how he can't attend all the many meetings he wants to attend. Well, this is going to solve part of that problem because we've just taken two great conventions, put them together uh, with a common exposition hall. The two organizations will have separate sessions, separate you know technical presentations that suit their members. But every day we'll be meeting for several hours at the Fort Worth Convention Center. Uh, this is going to be in, in in February of '09, February 24th to 26th. And I am just so excited because it's, 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 it's what the uh, mission of Indoor Quality Association was supposed to be from the beginning, to bring together all the diverse disciplines that make up the IEQ industry. And this isn't just, uh, uh, you know, this is the beginning of something. We're, we're looking at other groups for the future to bring in, really consolidate all those, those things together so that, you know, the IEQ professionals out there can go to a phenomenal trade show and not have to hit, you know, five or ten different conventions each year if they want to get everything they can get. Right. So that was uh, that was the big for me the big big news out there and it's really excited. Now the second big program that was introduced out there is something called it's a brand new member benefit to the Indoor Quality Association. It's called IAQA Profiles. This is something that only the Indoor Quality Association could get away with. What they've done is they've developed what what amounts to an online CV or resume for members where a member can put in every certification they hold, every license they hold, every training and workshop they've held, any degrees they hold, uh, you name it, any volunteer activities, uh, all the things that make them a great indoor air quality professional, whether they're a contractor, a consultant, a facility manager, or a lawyer, whatever. And, and I'd love people to check it out. If you want to check it out, what you do is go to iaqa.org. And there's a profile. There's some profiles of you know being built now, and, and and one of our members put up a fantastic profile. I have his permission to, to to share it with you. Go to go to find an IAQ professional on our website iaqa.org, and search for a fellow named Dan Stye, S T I H. Real simple. When you when you search for Dan Stye, you'll see his member profile button. You click that. And, and you will get the perfect example of what an IAQA profile looks like. It is one of the most powerful marketing tools for people in this industry and also something that you know, only an organization that uh, is an umbrella group to the industry like this could do. And uh, I think it's really going to change the dynamics of how the public searches and perceives indoor air quality professionals because instead of just saying, hey, this person is IICRC certified or NADCA certified or council certified, they're going to see all that plus a hundred other things about an individual with one click of their mouse. You know, Glenn, that would have I, – I was meeting with uh, a gentleman who needed to get a CV to an attorney, and he didn't have it on him at the conference, and they're, you know, a small company, only two people. If he would have been able to just send that link – that day, I mean, he had access to email. He just didn't have his CV with him. He could have had that over to the attorney in, you know, the speed of love. Well, the speed of whatever, <laughs> the speed of the Internet. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a great uh, well, new that's, benefit. 
it, it, it really is. There's some other news that came out. I don't want to steal all your time here today, but out of the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, they're making some phenomenal headway with, uh, with some standards. They've got three projects actively underway, uh, a residential sampling standard, a standard for uh, doing investigations in schools, and also a uh, standard for measuring arsenic coming off of pressure-treated lumber. Uh, I heard some statistics, by the way, about uh, the levels of arsenic on children's hands playing on decks that have pressure-treated lumber, and it's scary. It's really scary. So a standard is coming out on how to measure uh, how much arsenic is coming off these decks and uh, how to identify decks that need to be treated because uh, they've used this pressure-treated lumber with arsenic in it. Uh, they also have some new directors on the uh, IESO board, uh, one of whom is uh, a friend of yours and mine, Mr. Carl Grimes. Uh, he's come on the IESO board as a director, and you know Carl is uh, very well-versed in the ins and outs of ANSI. Oh, yeah. So uh, we, welcome, <laughs> we welcome him in there. Richard Finnegan uh, was elected to be the president of IESO. Chris Gusick is the uh, new treasurer of IESO, and Mike Bittner retains the position of uh, first vice president of IESO. They're also, and this is something I can announce here uh, to everyone in the world, IESO is expanding its board of directors. They're creating two new director positions. And if there are individuals out there in the world who have experience in standards making and organizational board work who are interested in perhaps serving, it's a, it's a big commitment of time, and, uh, and, the, and the pay, I have to say, is, is, uh, is a pat on the back and a big smile and a big thank you. But if there's individuals who'd be interested in that, I'd have them uh, just contact me directly. Uh, my email is iaqglenn at aol.com. Give me an email, send me your CV, I'll pass it on to the IESO Board of Directors. I think they'll be making a selection by the end of the year uh, for two more people to be joining their board. Great, great opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I guess that, that kind of wraps it up for me, Joe. I, I'd be happy to tell you some more things, but those are the big ones. Great. Well, let's, uh, if you can hang in there, we'll bring you back for the roundup, and we'll go from there. I'll be glad to. All right. Thanks for joining us, Glenn. Let's get back with Craig. Uh, we got Craig back. Okay, Craig, you're back on the line? I most certainly am. All right, great. Let's get back into this particle counter um, issue. I I was really fascinated by the uh, information that you, you shared with people at the at the conference. Um, let me first say, what you know, what's the best use for these laser particle counters? What how do you use them? What's, what, what do you do? Okay. Well, it's hard to say best use. I, I can definitely tell you a few things that I use it for. Um, and, and let me preface this by saying that I think it's an invaluable tool in an indoor air quality investigation. Um, I, I won't go on a job without one. And, um, and I met a lot of people at the conference, actually, that said that they, they feel the same way. Um, it, I think, you know, the way that I look at it, it's like collecting the vital statistics of the air in a building. Um, you go to the doctor, the doctor, the first thing they're going to do is get your blood pressure and temperature and, uh, you know, weight, those kinds of things. That doesn't necessarily tell you what's wrong with a person, but what it does do is it, it can point out um, that something might be wrong or, or things look pretty good. Um, and then the doctor will go from there with, you know, uh, questions and, and if necessary, further testing and so forth. And that's the way that, that I kind of look at the particle counter. Um, we use it uh, in, in residential situations, which I understand from, you know, when we, when we first started using particle counters about three years ago, that that was fairly unusual. Most people uh, use the particle counter in more of a clean kind of situation. 
um, like you were talking about earlier, Joe, where you know chip or Peter was talking about chip manufacturing that kind of thing. Um, we were bringing it into a home where there's lots of variables. You've got pets, you've got temperature differences, you've got humidity differences, you've got people that have had their windows open, you've got people that never change their filters, you have people that smoke, etc. So, uh, you know, uh, at first we weren't really sure what kind of data we were getting, but um, what we have found is that by accumulating lots and lots and lots, we, we have uh, you know, thousands and thousands of, of uh, sets of readings in, in rooms throughout different kinds of buildings, from medical buildings to, you know, places that have extensive contamination from mold or sewage and, and other kinds of things. So uh, the key thing uh, we found is to just take lots of readings, take them at the floor level, take them in the corners, take them at the ceiling level, take them at the, the supplies, take them at returns, and you get a, a real good data set on a building that is like getting blood pressure and, and uh temperature and, uh, you know, those kind of cholesterol check, those kinds of things, that gives you a, a, a real good idea of what uh, is going on in this building as far as the air quality is concerned. I think that's a great point. I'm glad you bring it up. I, you know, I use a, a particle counter myself, and I actually, after talking to you a little bit more, I, I plan on using it even more. But I think it's really important that you point out that you have to take multiple uh, readings, if you will, and in multiple locations to really get some kind of statistically valid idea of what's going on in that room. And uh, you had mentioned that, you know, you have uh, different types of dust in your article. You've got the heavy dust, the settled dust, the suspended atmospheric dust. You also mentioned something about the fact that, you know, particles are going to be different in different parts of rooms because of certain scientific, uh, you know, phenomena. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, and this gets a little tricky because, you know, one might think, well, I don't really understand how air moves about in the room. Well, you don't need to necessarily. You just need to know that it does move about. And if I take enough readings, I'll figure out where the pockets are. So what happens is that particles become suspended and they, they move in what's called a laminar flow. Wherever the air movement is going, there's little little mini jet streams, if you will, going across most rooms where there's any kind of air activity and pressure changes and that kind of thing, you end up with dust will accumulate in these little jet streams. And uh, they'll move about the room. They'll, they'll, they like to settle on the floor. Others like to accumulate light particles will accumulate up at the top of the room near the ceiling. Um, others will get stuck in corners. So you have to know that that the, these patterns happen and if I get readings in the corners and up high and down low and in the center of the room I'm going to end up with a good average representation of what's going on in that room as far as particle load. And what I guess it depends on the type of investigation you're doing but what particle size are you typically looking at? Well we look at uh, our particular particle counter uh, looks at 0.3 microns up to 10 microns and above. Um, and we're, we're looking heavily at the 1 micron to 10 micron range as that's where most complete fungal spores fall as far as size. But the 0.3 and 0.5 are also very important because that's where you get the hyphal fragments. And like uh, what we heard at the, the, the presentation on Sunday at IAQA, Richie Shoemaker was talking about fragments and so was Harriet and about how, you know, maybe fragments are maybe more important as far as... Uh, containing mycotoxins than our whole spores. So we want to know what the fragment uh, counts are as well. And uh, 
you know, we'll sometimes be very surprised that the total spore counts can be quite low, um, and we'll have high fragment counts. And uh, you know, that that gives us valuable information that we need to look we need to look a little bit deeper here. Okay, and then, <clears throat> excuse me. I noticed also that you had a a really nice. Um, summary of some of the results and and this gets more specific to mold remediation i believe where you were summarizing the data that you've gotten prior to starting a project after starting a project and also comparing that with spore traps prior and after and culturable samples prior and after can you summarize a little bit of that information for us sure i'd be happy to joe um we found that in general, and, and I would say this is, you know, it's not perfect science, mind you, but in general that the particle readings are going to be a very good representation of what's going on in the air as far as both the, the total spores, total fungal spores, and the culturable uh, colonies that will appear on, a, on an air culture. And, yeah, you're right. We do, you know, this is just relative to fungal investigations. And, um, and we did the, the sampling uh, data, which was taken from 21 projects where we did all of the pre- and post-testing on remediation projects, and we used the same lab, same equipment, calibrated equipment, um, so we had a real good basis for some scientific results here. Um, all of that data was, was we crunched that data and created graphs and charts and so forth and, uh, and found that there was a really a, a pretty strong correlation between 60 to 80 percent of the time the particle readings were very had a very strong correlation with both the total spore counts and the culturable data that we were achieving during that testing. That's interesting. Now, I've got one more, and I want to get back to Cliff, and then we have to get to the roundup. But um, the, the last question I had was that I, I understand that by taking all these particle counts, you're going to have to spend more time in the building or in the residence, obviously. So that's kind of a, a negative side to things. But does that also lead to a possible positive side of things for the client as well? Besides yeah, the fact that no you get a... We get a lot more data. And, uh, you know, just a very basic thing is that the, the client who, who observes you, and I invite my clients to, you know, we, all of us that work for USJ, you invite the clients to, to go around with us from room to room and watch what we're doing. And they, uh, they are very impressed with the fact that we can get on-site uh, data so quickly and so much of it and, um, and be able to make you know, a fairly good assessment right off the bat without having to send anything off to a lab. I mean, we've got to, we always end up, well, I shouldn't say always, but you know, most of the time we'll end up collecting some sort of a sample, an air sample that goes to a lab to corroborate what we're seeing with the particle counter. But, um, you know, it gives us a real good basis for determining where we're going to collect a sample. Um, we can save the client money in most cases because we're not having to collect as many samples. We're just collecting in one area that looks suspicious and in, in, in an area that is, uh, appears to be clean. And, and an outside sample, we've got a good basis for uh, an analysis at the end. Very good. Well, thank you, Craig. Let's pull it uh, over to Cliff. Are you still on the line? I hope so. Can you hear me okay? We can. You sound great, actually. Let us uh, let me turn it over to you. I know you still had a couple questions. Let's take about five minutes and then hit the roundup. Yeah. 
particularly deals with uh, the IICRC S520 mold remediation standard. Craig, are you familiar with what some people consider to be a controversial paper included as an appendix at the end of the document? And the paper bases its respiratory protection recommendations for mold remediation workers on what I would call a guesstimated number of mold spores being released during various types of mold remediation activities. As someone proficient in mold remediation procedures, sampling, and the use of particle counters, can you just comment and just you know, give me your opinion? Certainly. Um, first of all, let me say that I think that a lot of the people that write uh, these documents um, may not have ever been in a crawl space where there's people scrubbing away at mold spores or in a building where heavy demos going on and so forth. I, I wonder about that. I mean, I'm, I'm not certain, but I, I have suspicions. And, there, you know, these are a lot of the people that, that formulated that document, um, that particular uh, addition to the IRCRC, are, were physicians. And, uh, you know, they're looking at this from a medical standpoint. I, the numbers, to me, seem arbitrary. Um, I don't put a lot of stock in the, in, in the basis for their conclusion. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been in, in jobs personally where I've seen demo going on and I've been taking particle readings and, you know, the numbers are extraordinary. And, um, you know, those of us that work, you know, in the mold remediation industry and, and have been there while stuff's being torn apart and mold spores are flying everywhere, we know that, uh, you know, it's, it's very unpredictable for one thing, um, but that the utmost caution needs to be uh, definitely taken place. Okay, Cliff. Thank you. I'm good. Okay. All right, Cliff. I um, I'd like to. Why don't we uh, why don't we do this, Zach? Why don't we go to the roundup right now and bring everybody back? This is perfect. We've got about seven minutes left, so go for it. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up. Move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, raw. CJ, what I'd like to do to start this off is I should have asked, and I did not prior to um, going into Rawhide. Craig, was there anything that we missed that you'd like to add? Uh, I think, you know, one thing I want to say real quickly is that we all need to work together in this industry. This is an evolving science. Um, there's a lot of discussion, a, a lot of different methodologies, um, you know, a lot of people doing what I do and what you do and, and so forth, and, and a lot of strong opinions out there. There's no doubt about that. Um, if, we, if we can all uh, remain even-tempered uh, when, when get-togethers happen and, um, and uh, you know, be, be fair, be critical, but be fair, and uh, let's all do the right thing to help move this, uh, this industry forward, and I think that would be a, uh, you know, that, that's kind of my, my closing comment, if you will. I can appreciate that, and and I'd also like to give you the opportunity while we still, uh, before we get into discussion with the rest of the roundtable here, to give your um, contact information for our viewers. Certainly. Um, my, my telephone number is 336, area code, 373-1538, 
And via email, you can reach me at Craig, that's C-R-A-I-G, at E, S is in Sam, G is in Gorilla, testing.com. So that's Craig at E-S-G, testing.com. Excellent. Thank you, Craig. Let's move it over to the good doctor. Dieter, are you on the line? I certainly am. How are you? Great, thanks. It's roundup time. Dieter, any comments or questions? Yep. Absolutely, and I predicted it. I predicted it five years ago, and, and in the very beginning of this show, you mentioned it, that all of a sudden we are sponsoring research, that people are looking at the issues, and you, you know my old comment. In the old days, mold was not sexy enough to sponsor it. You know, there was no money available for studying it, but I think through the association, through the people who are working with it, I think we have gotten to a point where they said, hey, maybe there got to be something a little bit more to it than just wipe it off with Clorox, Clorox and forget about it. And I'm glad to see that because I think there is a heck of a lot of room for damn good research in the future. And I make you a small wager of a million dollars in another five years from now there will be data points out there that, that, that show us something. It's not inert dust. I know that. That's for sure. Well, I, and I, I appreciate that, Dieter, because I think a lot of us that deal with people out in the, in the field, you know, we, we struggle with that. You know, they're having problems. Yeah. You clean up the home, and sometimes the problems go away. Sometimes they don't, but... Um, you know, it seems like we've got a lot of anecdotal evidence. It's just tough getting the, the hard science to catch up with us sometimes. But, no, nobody has done it. And if you don't fund it, I mean, I would, I told you, you, you and I are working together for five, six years. I wish I were back at the University of Pittsburgh. I have ideas for 20 master's thesis in microbiology. <laughs> I need I need a master's student. We had the laboratory. I would love to get them rolling. And I said, hey, guys, do this and this and this and this and this and this. Craig, I'm curious. You taught, um, I, I don't even recall where. I know at the, uh, at the university level or college level, where did you teach and, and what did you teach? Well, I taught at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro. Oh, nice. My hometown here. Uh, well, that's where I've lived for, for 20 years or so. Um, and I've, I've taught a variety of subjects, everything from, from history to spirituality to, uh, to education courses and uh, even a, a couple of music classes. Okay, so you're pretty... So I have a, a wide... Uh, I enjoy teaching different things, and I, I, I would propose courses that, I, that were interesting to me that were timely. So he knows the difference between C minor and C sharp minor. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, I know what that means, Peter. <laughs> well, you both lost me there, anyway. But uh, Mr. I'm Feldman, I'm lost. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, Glenn, let's see what you've got we to gotta, say. Hey, you got to have variety. Can I chime in on this roundup? I got something I wanted to say. Please do. Uh, you know uh, what you're talking about before with IICRC and this controversial appendix. You know. The the uh, the notice went out in anti standards action, and uh, from the date of the notice, the uh, comment deadline would have been, I believe, this past Monday, the fifteenth. But because IICRC wasn't prepared with the document at the time the pins notice went up, at least uh, I know uh, the letter I got told me that the um, 
the comment period had been extended to the 20th. That's tomorrow, folks. Um, if you if there's people out there who have concerns about S520, you've got 24 hours to get your comments in. If IICRC doesn't have comments in by tomorrow, they're going to go to ANSI and say, hey, we put out a second peer review. Nobody had anything to say. We're ready to be approved. And um, I think there's some people out there who still have some concerns. So uh, I don't know what the status is. I don't know if they've received comments, but I do know this. IICRC officials at the uh, convention last uh, this week in Vegas said, in no uncertain terms, S520 will be out in 90 days. Well, I heard it. I heard it. You know, not just uh, said to me, but said to people who were putting advanced orders on purchasing the document. So, uh, I know in the minds of IICRC leadership, you know, they are on the on the downward slope, and 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 publication is three months away. Yeah, done. Yeah. So again, if if there are listeners out there who have something to say about that document, you have basically today to get this get something in. If and if you don't, uh, shame on you because uh, you know if they don't get comments, as far as they know, that means everybody's happy and they're going to press. And hey, if everybody's happy, good because you know it is overall an excellent document. There may be a few things people don't like, and this is your last chance to comment on it. Last chance today. Thanks for that, Glenn. I've, I've got two things. Cliff? I've I got two things. Glenn, why, why don't you give contact information so people know how to know how to do that? Because it's yeah. not necessarily that easy. Yes. If, you, if, if you'd like to get a, a review copy, you need to send an email ASAP. No. Now. <laughs> and you need it to, to send it to, I'm going to spell it. Well, I'm going to say it first. Textilecon at AOL.com. And I'm going to spell it. T E X T. I L E C O N textile con at AOL.com. That's the email address for Larry Cooper, who's a standards consultant who's responsible for these things. Uh, if you want to get the document, again, email textile con at AOL.com. And I think you, I think you may have, I think if I'm not mistaken, you have through the 20th. So you, I believe you can get those comments in tomorrow, but someone may want to double check that. I might be wrong. It might be just today, but uh, that's how you do it. Textilecon at AOL.com. Larry Cooper, who's a, a, a good guy and a good friend of mine, and I'm sure if there's more comments uh, that'll make it a better document, he'd be happy to see him. Okay. Cool. And Cliff, did you have one other item? Yeah, I, I really did. You know, one of the things that you know I heard said was this classification. I think one of the things that was presented at the IQA convention, you know, a certain percentage or Eiffel fragments, a certain percentage or mold spores, and and so on and so forth. And I just remind everyone what one of the things that Dieter said a long time ago, you know, the dose makes the poison. And you know, you may find something that's present in dust that's there in a high concentration, very, very benign. And you might find something that, you know, can be less than one percent that can be a trigger for many sorts of indoor air quality problems and many health issues as well. That's a tremendous comment, actually. I'm glad you brought that up, Cliff. Um, there's some discussion on a few, you know, chat rooms, and it is, it's a dose-response issue. And then we've got, you know, we don't want to be mold-centric either. There's a whole heck of a lot more out there, and in that dust, um, you know, you've got bacteria and other allergens as well that are in that dust. Um, that particular, I'm glad we cleared it up, that particular uh, comment, I believe, was directed just at dust. And, Glenn, while I've got you, um, has there been a decision made as to whether IAQA members will be able to get those con uh, those um, 
presentations in some way? From from the panel that Carl was uh, was uh, chairing, you mean? Correct. Yes, those were those will all be uh, uploaded to the IAQA website probably by the end of next week. They will be in the members only section. So if you're not a member of the Indoor Quality Association, you're going to have to fork over 125 bucks to belong. But they will be on IAQA.org in the members only section. Uh, we'll have those presentations. And then uh, we'll have actually on the uh, on the main site a streaming video of the uh, president's speech, a uh, new president's welcome speech, and a couple other tidbits and photos from the expo hall and things like that. Give us a little time. We got a we got a little catch up work to do. We've been out of the office for a week, but uh, I would say certainly by next week's show, all of that should be on iaqa.org. Well, sounds like those things alone are worth the price of admission. All right, this is Joe Hughes. I want to thank each of our guests, Glenn Fellman from IE Connections. I want to thank Craig Whitaker from EGS Consulting. I want to thank our technical host, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Of course, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick from Vancouver, Washington today. And of course, the cyber jockey, CJ, for all our help, all their help in uh, putting this show together again today. And most importantly, thanks to all of our growing loyal listeners, including you, Craig, for joining us. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.